the, the project of yoga is to still all the activity of this material self. Okay, so it's a very still, silent objective of practice. And, uh, but what a funny thing, because we do super dynamic, rigorous gymnastic practice, right? But really, it's about sitting still and quieting your mind and discovering what consciousness emerges from that. Then why, sh why not just sit? And you could, but Ashtanga is a system that's saying that you don't start with sitting. And, um, and it's partly because of this. So this, what, this ordinary world that we perceive just with our senses, it, it's a, called the illusory world. It's an illusion what the, the senses are taking in. It's, this isn't how it is. And what this looks like, what makes it illusory, is it looks stationary. It looks static, permanent. That, and even though we even intellectually know that this building will not be standing 10,000 years from now, we, we don't operate that way. We operate like this is permanent. And, that, and it also extends to us, the, our bodies. We treat them as permanent and our personality and all of this. Um, and yet, What's really happening with all things material is that they're constantly in motion. Everything is in constant flux and ever-changing and impermanent. So we treat it as permanent, but it's impermanent. And, um, and so that is very difficult to catch this um, constant activity that's going on. And so we get, um, so yoga is a response to suffering by identifying with the uh, illusory world, by making a mistake so that, and not perceiving the, the hidden dimension, the, the more true dimension, and the one that we're meant to identify with, behind the the moving, there's an unchanging aspect. There's an eternal kind of presence or consciousness that's the source of everything. And that's what we're meant to identify with. But when things are constantly moving and we don't perceive it, we're out of touch with that. And it's one of the four mistakes that are, go into, it's called avidya. It's the, the main root cause of pain. And it's a, a mistake is to try to find what is permanent, trying to find permanence in what is inherently impermanent. So it's a very contradictory thing, very par paradoxical in that. So, so sitting still, though, is not really sitting still. In fact, it's the opposite. 
to me, sitting still is a state of being riotously alive. Like, so that you're, it's called chitta, the field of consciousness. And your body is part of that field. So it's not just your mind. So the whole body is the field of the consciousness. And that field, when you understand, you can, when you stop identifying with the, 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 this impermanent material, your whole field is awake. It's entirely shot through with aliveness. So that the, there's no part left out. So sitting looks so static. Uh, the sitting of a yogi it sits like a statue. But inside, there's a, the whole thing is vibrating with intelligence. The whole structure, so hard to achieve. Because when you sit as an ordinary, in an ordinary state, there's both gross and subtle movement. Gross movement, you can see, constantly shifting, rearranging. The mind is going here, going there. Right? And, and then subtle things that we don't even notice. Subtle distractions. And so, in a way, that activity is it's, it's, it's random, unconscious, habitual. It's not noticed. And so you're trying to go to this state where all of that gross movement, you stop it. And you cease to identify with whatever is moving. You're, kind of, you're somehow outside of it. You're not swept up into it. So it's like, in a way, it's like being in the eye of a storm, being the calm in the middle of the swirl that you identify with, not part of the whatever's active. And there's almost no way to go from vritti, from ordinary, distracted consciousness that's identified with impermanence to tuk, the cessation of activity where you've ceased to identify with that and you're identified with the permanent, eternal consciousness behind it. You, so you need a middle stage, pravritti. So you got vritti, nirvritti. Vritti, ordinary, with thought, nirvritti. That near is without, it's gone. It's just an apprehension of now. In the middle, pra is higher. There's a higher kind of activity. That's vinyasa. Right there. Okay, so, so the higher activity is, it's a purposely, go, you go out of your way to create activity. Because it's already happening, but it's, 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 it's so constant that it's in the background. You don't even notice anymore. So we, we have to conjure up activity in order to start to get a hold of it, to see it, and then and regularize it that leads to a 
kind of a dis, and stop, ceasing to identify with it and to eliminating it. Okay, and so you create strategic, purposeful, expressive, directed activity. That's vinyasa. For me, it's, I'm always trying to make it practical. Like it's, this is very profound and, and giant in terms of the scope, but it's also, I'm always trying to step it down to, wit, to write in the practice. How is this, how does this idea, the, the, the biggest idea about it, filter down into my doings? Okay, and so we are getting towards that. Um, okay, so now we just hold that piece of the puzzle because I've got to give you a, a couple more pieces. So in the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, this is a very important text on the yoga we do. Ashtanga is a Hatha Yoga style. Okay, and it's divided into four chapters that are all very important. And, and Ashtanga represents all, every, every one of those categories, those four. First is asana. Okay, that's the biggest part of the practice that we do. Second is pranayama, the breathing. Third is mudra. And fourth is, is samadhi, the eighth limb. So the, the vinyasa is concerned with the third one. Okay, and so you, you can think of it that vinyasa is the entry into the great study of mudra. Okay, and the, those, chap, those chapter headings, they go from gross to subtle. Asana is the grossest, the first. Then the pranayama, then mudra. So mudra is more subtle than asana or pranayama. And it's a broad category with many techniques are mudras. And the bandhas, the three bandhas, mula bandha, uddhyana bandha, jalantara, they're, they're all three mudras. And so that vinyasa, though, that the, the word which refers to position, right, that we do in Ashtanga, every asana is, a, is counted in positions. It's a very different than any other style in that sense. There's no yoga where you count so that every single asana. So Surya Namaskara is nine vinyasa, nine positions. Surya Namaskara B, 17. Utita Trikonasana, five. Marichyasana B, 22. Like so on. And so you, as a, when you get serious about Ashtanga, then you're very interested in those, how many positions? And what are those positions? Vinyasa, it's an entry into the study of mudra. It's like a, so to reach your arms up in Surya Namaskara, that's a mudra. And it's a gross mudra compared to Mula Bandha, or even Uddiyana Bandha. That, and so that these 
vinyasa then, these positions in Ashtanga, they're meant to teach you. They, they take you into this really important category of what you're doing. They teach you eventually Mula Bandha, Uddiyana Bandha. But you also, I'm conducting this class because you can help yourself by making the link up. How does it happen? Because, for instance, like if you want to learn Uddiyana Bandha, that's not easy to do. It's just like we bandy around the word, but what, what ends up happening, if you sit down and try to do Uddiyana Bandha, here's what happens. You end up with a, your rectus abdominis contracted. That's not Uddiyana Bandha. And sitting down and trying to do it is not the way to do it. It's not the way to learn it. That's where the Ashtanga came to the relief. <laughs> yes, it teaches you a different way, a better way, a more expedient way to learn mudras. And that's what all those positions are. They actually teach you that. Two more pieces of the puzzle. One is though the one, so the way to study Ashtanga is to differentiate okay, very clearly. Since every, every asana has a number of vinyasa, okay, so you are, and the, the, and the, the asana that you hold, you stay in, we call that the state of the asana, right? So you're making a very clear distinction between this state of the asana and the transition. And so you're in your mind, you're, not, you're like, which mode am I in now? Am I working on a transition or am I in a position, a state of the asana? Okay, and, and but that helps you to understand that vinyasa, to work with the vinyasa, um, vinyasa by vinyasa, as you go through your series, it's very important distinction to divide up your work and, it, and not automatic. See, so often we are not clear when we're actually stopped in a position and when we are transitioning. Okay, in some of those, many of those positions, you don't stay in for five breaths, right? When you jump back, you chaturanga, upward dog, downward dog, no five breaths. But each one of those is its own little mini state of the asana. You establish that position. And you stop moving. Okay, so there's position, transition. You're clear what you're doing. Okay, now, the, the link that, one really important link that makes these transitions mudras. Okay, because mudra, if you think about it, well, for one, it's like hand gestures, right? Or it's, um, to, it means to seal. It's kind of an energetic seal or a stamp. So that's not clear then how reaching up or folding forward or crouching before lifting up and jumping back. How are those mudras? Because a mudra is a gesture. 
Okay, that's the key. Mudra means gesture. And what is a gesture? A gesture is this, a strategic, purposeful, expressive, directed movement. So it's not just mere movement, it's movement that's intended that you are expressing something with your movement. Something purposeful, something that you've strategized. Okay, and so I'm giving you these, what actually makes, transforms a movement into a gesture, okay? So there's, here's a few things. Okay, one thing, it has three phases, okay? And the, the whole thing of vinyasa is predicated on what we call the crouch and spring. Okay, so you, there's a setup, there's a galvanization, an anticipation of action, like a panther crouching Whom before the action, okay? And then the spring is a follow-through into pure action, fully committed move that is confident, bold, unhesitating. And then there's some place you arrive to. There's a destination. There's a crouch, a spring, and a destination. Okay, so it's very different than just moving where you don't prepare you, the, the, and who knows what you're thinking in the middle and where you're arriving. Okay, the setup, crouch, spring into pure action, destination, every transition. And it doesn't matter, it's not always a literal crouch. Sometimes it's a figurative crouch. Like when you're in Samastitihi and you're about to reach up, there's an anticipation of that. And then there's a follow through. And then there's arrival at the next position. Okay, another thing that makes a, a movement a gesture, the edge of imbalance. There's always risk. Okay, so, Partly, the, this whole idea that, the, that we buy into the, the idea that what is always changing is, we, we, we act like it's static and permanent. So we, it, it's so embedded in us that how we walk, how we breathe, how we stand, how we sit, defaults into a static kind of place. So we get very afraid of actually taking a chance with movement. That sitting still and being conscious is the riskiest thing you can do because everything is always uncertain. There's no certainty at all anywhere because it's always changing. And, Right? So everything we believe, we think, our memories, all the things we are so reliant on, we think are so sure, they're not sure because it's always shifting. And so you have to live in this place of constant uncertainty, risk, risking that. So challenging. And we do it. And so with the practice, we actually 
use the body to, to jog ourselves out of that static complacency and, to, and come into a place of edge, of movement and postural risk. And it's, it's like usually more subtle than like bungee jumping. <laughs> Although dropping back can get pretty edgy. <laughs> or tic tacs. Um, okay, so there's always said there and so the, you understand though, you have to go out of your way to, to find risk, to to move, put your body on the edge in subtle ways. In your transitions. Okay. And last, and that a gesture requires all of you. Okay, so you are the whole thing. Every part of you is involved in whatever that movement is. Every part is invested in it. Even if a part seems unrelated, it's finding its way into it being it's like, it's not going to be left out. Going to participate from the tips of the toes right to the tips of the fingers, everywhere throughout is integrated into that thingamajigger. Sorry, there is one more. The, whole, the crouch and spring. See, what is that? That's a contraction expansion. Contraction expansion. Breath, okay, so that that's the, the heart of the gesture. The heart of mudra is that ebb and flow rhythm. And that the, so the movements that, the gestures that are the transitions are reflecting that uh, connection with breath. And that's really big aspect to it. And partly you need like this full energetic um, participation and risk because, so repetition, it's very easy for repetition just to be habit. That's what habit is. We repeat unconsciously, right? And so, but in order for, to learn and to, under, to use vinyasa to uh, disengage from constant activity, then repetition has to be new. So each time you do it, you've, it's got to be a different time. Even though you've done it thousands of times, every time you lower into chaturanga, that's a new time of doing it. And so that's partly you have to bring yourself to some kind of an edge to get there, just to be present and see it as a new try. <laughs>